this week's edition for the Wise Up Podcast. This is your host, Ezra Siddiqui. As a reminder, Wise Up is my platform to educate the Muslim and South Asian community about local Texas and national politics. You can find my podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn, or hear them every Tuesday at 2 p.m. on Radio Azad. You can also follow me on social media, such as Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, along with checking out my website, which hosts all my blogs and podcasts, at wiseuptx.com. Remember, everyone, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. Today's podcast segment is called Open Dialogue, and we have an interview with Adil Zeb discussing the Black Lives Matter movement along with how the South Asian and Muslim communities can do a better job of supporting the Black Lives Matter movement and why it's so important for our communities to do so. But first, let's start with the news of the week. First of all, I hope you all have registered to vote. The deadline was last week. So if you haven't registered or were unable to do so, you will not be able to vote in November, which is unfortunate. But those of y'all who have registered, and I hope that most of y'all have, uh, it's time to start wising up on your candidates and learning more about them. By the end of this week, I will have my website updated with polling locations, a sample ballot, and some other information that you can find that would be very useful in helping you decide who you're going to vote for. Uh, don't forget that besides the presidential election, you'll be voting in for uh, your Texas Supreme Court, the Texas uh, Criminal Appeals Court, like the judges for these courts. You'll be voting in for your U.S. congressional houses, which are the ones that represent you in the in the House on U.S. Congress. And you'll also be voting for your Texas House of Representatives, along with many others, and propositions within your district. So it's important to start doing your research now because it's a lot of information to learn in the first place, and you don't want to leave it till the last minute. Um, Early voting begins October 24th, so I hope you all will be reading up on your candidates and getting ready to early vote instead of waiting on that long, long line on November 8th. So with regards to the presidential election, you know, we have Donald Trump who seems to continuously be spiraling out of control, or so they say. Um, I think there are many Trump supporters out there that may not outwardly show that they support Donald Trump, so I don't think it's safe to make the assumption that he's going to lose. I think there's a possibility that this is going to be an exceptionally close race. Um, It has been showing that there have been several states that seem to be becoming a battleground state instead of being a easy Democratic or an easy Republican win. And one of them seems to be Texas. There seems to be a three to four point margin. And Hillary has just announced that she is investing in a week-long ad in the state of Texas, which is very much unheard of. So that means the Democratic Party definitely thinks that they find Texas to be a strong contender. Now, will Texas go blue? I think that would be exceptionally difficult, but it would be very surprising to see if that does happen in November, which is why it's so important for you all to vote in November. Also, in regards to Hillary Clinton, it seems like WikiLeaks has leaked out um, some of the campaign emails and the transcript of her speeches with Goldman Sachs. As you all may remember, long, long, long time ago during the primaries when she was up against Bernie Sanders, Uh, it was a huge contentious issue. You know, what was in her speeches? Why wasn't she releasing the transcripts of it? Um, I've had a chance to read a couple of articles out there, and I've actually posted some on the blog if you have a chance to look at them. 
they seem to be pretty much along the lines of what she's been stating. I think some of the big issues is her, you know, stance on TPP, which is a Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement. And it seems that, you know, she was initially for it, and now she seems to be backing off that stance. Other than that, I didn't see anything that um, seemed glaringly shocking in those emails, but I highly recommend for you all to read them in case you have any doubts about Hillary. And again, don't let the media just tell you, you know, what's in them. Try and do your own research to understand what was in those documents because it seems like the media these days have been doing a lot of exaggerating in order for people to click on their posts and for them to get more viewers. And then we have the lovely Donald Trump. And, you know, he met with some Indian Americans at like a Bollywood um, event. It was a fundraiser. And he said that he loved the Hindus and that, you know, America and India are best friends or they will be best friends. Many Indian Americans denounced this. And there were several that stated that this isn't indicative of majority of the Hindu American population. So that was kind of interesting to see. Then we had his wife do a televised interview last night. And the main thing you, I guess you could take away is that she blamed um, Billy Bush for the reason why uh, Donald Trump went along with that locker room talk along with his lewd comments about women. Um, you can watch the interview and make your own opinions about it. And moving on to Texas political news, uh, the Texas House had their uh, major meeting with regards to public education and kind of how were they plan to go from here. I don't know if you all remember, I've been talking about school finance and how it's going to be a pretty big and very important um, thing they're going to discuss this upcoming legislative session about how they intend to fund public education in Texas. And so I hope you all will ask your local candidates, the ones that are running for Texas House of Representatives, on how they intend to go about the situation, how they want to vote for it. Because there's been a battle about allowing vouchers and people being able to you know, get money from the government so that their kid can attend private school instead of properly funding public education to the fullest. So this is why it's so important for you to focus on local elections because public education funding is what's going to affect you on your day-to-day life. It's, gonna, it's what's going to affect your children. So I just want to emphasize this point of why it's so important to focus on Texas politics. And I hope in next week's segment, you know, I hope to give y'all a rundown about what will be the big issues in this upcoming legislative session so that when you're researching, you all can understand what each candidate's stance is so that you are wisened up and can make the proper choice in who you vote for. All right, y'all, that's the news of the week. Let's move on to our interview with Adil Zeb. So Imam Adil J. Zeb is a Muslim chaplain, interfaith scholar, and TEDx speaker. He has spoken at mosques, universities, and international governmental institutions. He holds degrees and studies from Baylor University in Business Administration, Arisa University in Traditional Islamic Studies, Master's in Islamic Chaplaincy from Hartford Seminary, 
and Tajweed and Quranic recitation from the Blue Mosque in Istanbul. He has been featured on national and local radio and television media, including CNN, Washington Post, NPR, and Time Magazine over a 10-year span. He's also been published in the Washington Post and is a regular contributor for the Huffington Post religion section. And he currently serves as the vice president of National Association of College and University Chaplains. Hi, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. So, you know, I've seen a couple of your articles circling around Huffington Post, and I saw that you had this really amazing article with regards to the Black Lives Matter movement and how you thought the Muslim community should be more supportive of them. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wanted to start with what exactly is the Black Lives Matter movement? Would you help enlightening my listeners? Sure, yeah. So, I mean, you know, the Black Lives Matter uh, movement, uh, in, in, that, in that name or that branding, um, started, um, I believe, in 2012, um, okay. after Trayvon Martin was shot, and um, this young African-American boy, with uh, a young man, I should say, with a hoodie, and he was shot, and then the um, murderer was found not guilty. Um, right. And he was actually had to, he was on trial for his own death, so to speak, uh, Trayvon was. Um, uh-huh. And so, uh, you know, this was um, this was kind of be this is a, a continuation, really, of the injustice towards um, black people in America. You know, and okay. there's uh, more recently there is a documentary called The Thirteenth, um, right. which brings into light it's a Netflix documentary. You can uh, you can check it out um, currently, uh, and um, you know, it basically brings into light the Thirteenth Amendment which abolishes slavery, right. but it gives a loophole which is for criminals. Right? Okay. And so what this did was um, it enabled, uh, you know, basically the same treatment happening, but you switch it up a little bit. So instead of, you know, maybe the Ku Klux Klan, um, pe people started wearing, you know, uniforms and dogs were still used. And instead of uh, slavery... Um, African Americans are put into prison systems, right? Okay. And so, right. Curr so currently, right now, um, there are you know one fourth of the entire world population who are imprisoned are imprisoned in America. Right. You know, and, and that's a staggering more, statistic. Yeah, it, it's horrible, and there are more yeah. um, African Americans right now in the prison system being monitored than there were slaves in the 1800s. I mean, it, it's, wow. it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's Unbelievable. I think I remembered, actually did a, a short segment on Black Lives Matter as well um, a couple mm -hmm. of months ago. But yeah, I was absolutely shocked that there were more African Americans in jail today than there were slaves in America. It right, was just right. insane to me. And so, you know, you're discussing about how the African American community has been treated and that, I guess, in a way, their mistreatment hasn't stopped even though the Civil War was hundreds of like more than a hundred years ago, right? Right, right, and it's something that um, they're facing on a daily basis. You know, right? Um, black men are having to seem more nicer, more nice uh, in public, uh -huh. so that they don't get they don't seem like they're, they're coming to steal someone, or that that stereotype is very much propagated um, in the community. Um, and you know, it what it does if there are more African American men are imprisoned unjustly 
you know, you can imagine how that affects the African-American community, um, right. the women and the children who, whose fathers and whose, you know, whose husbands are uh, in prison and how, how that can really um, destroy society from within, um, you know, and unfortunately, um, destroyed externally, but also within the, the effects that um, come about from there. Uh, you know, and I think also it should be said that um, in the Muslim community, we're also having this problem of, of racism in our communities. Um, okay. That, you know, we're uh, many times black Muslims um, who are, you know, very similar in, in, in theology um, right. to other Muslims, but, you know, they have a hard time marrying with um, South Asians or Arabs or other types of ethnicities of Muslims because of that racism. Um, so that that it, it, it is an unfortunate thing that it permeates into the uh, Muslim American community as well. It's not um, it's not immune or innocent of that as, either. Yeah, and I totally agree with you on that one. I think you know, especially from the Desi perspective, I can't speak mm. for the Arab Muslims, but I think you know that that mindset is definitely there. I've definitely seen it, and so as you're saying that this racism is also occurring within the Muslim community, how do you feel that the South Asian and Muslim communities can be supportive of this cause? Like what, what can we do? Mm. I mean, in your article in the Huffington Post, you discussed how, how it pains you that this happens within our own community. So, I mean, how do you think yeah. we should attend, attempt to fix this? Well, I mean, I, I feel that, you know, one time, I'll give you an example. I was um, at a job interview for um, a young, you know, young professionals mosque, you can call it, right? Okay. And uh, the, the the board members were South Asian mostly, maybe one Arab person. And they were like, you know, I wouldn't even know how to have a conversation with a black Muslim. Oh, and wow. when I heard that, I was like, you know, it really took me back. And I was like, if the circles that we're we're meeting with socially are all from one specific ethnicity, which is most of the time the case, um, right. especially with generations that, you know, the, the parents are coming to different countries and then, you know, they start um, mixing and socializing with that specific um, ethnic group, maybe in that country, sort of, uh, right, in particular. Right. And so what happens then is that there's no dialogue. There is no growing it just kind right. of stays the same, like, you know, chai samosa, <laughs> and right. uh, nothing really changes, you know, which is, it's, it's cool, it's fine. But at the end of the day, you know, you never really grow. And okay. you never really get to understand other people's struggles, their cultures, how much you have in common, and even systemically, how um, what's happening to black people who are Muslim who are, and who aren't Muslim is also affecting South Asians and Muslims from other backgrounds as well. In that okay. systemically, as people of color, which is like you know, the, the current term, uh, people right. who, aren't, who aren't white, basically, right, um, are, are being affected and being discriminated um, in different ways, but systemically. And so you'll find that people of color, especially women of color, have the uh -huh. hardest time in terms of discrimination uh, in the workplace and other and other venues as well, um, and so when you start to realize that people from um, across the line, so to speak, or other ethnic groups and, and racial groups have certain elements and struggles in common 
with you, then you're able to build these bridges and networks in order to make the society as a whole a better place for everyone. Right. So you're really advocating the fact that we need to open up dialogue, we need to start discussing with these people, and that with open dialogue, we can eventually come to a place where we realize that we have a lot of, you know, um, common things and Mm -hmm. that we're facing a lot of the same issues. And if we're able to open this dialogue, learn these things, we'll be able to, you know, communicate better, become more unified to fight against this type of racism. Am I following you? Right, right, right. Okay. And so, um, as you have just stated, that you know, we're, we can have this dialogue where we can understand these things. Do you think the South Asian and Muslim communities um, is facing a lot of the same issues that the African-American communities have been facing? Do you think we're facing the same types of racism? Yeah, I mean, it's um, there are similar elements, um, but it's also important to understand that the term racism um, was developed specifically for the African American community um, in okay. this context of America, right? Um, All right. And so, like, it's it's almost like you know, yes, in a way, but also no, in a way, right? So it okay. is it is specific, but that but there are elements of xenophobia um, and, and racism that permeate through different societies. But at the same time, having having so I just said, you know, yes, um, you know, there. But, you know, it's, it's ways that we can find um, that struggle, you know, it's, it's reaching, you know, different levels. And, and you know, I, and again, um, if you're black and you're Muslim, you're having to be facing both those struggles simultaneously. Right. Right. And then the I other think component, of, yeah. Sorry, I mean, I was just saying that one of the struggles I think that are similar is just that the way people, you know, obviously judge us from the our skin color, right, skin tone, like for African Americans, you know, they have this fear um, with regards to crime, and then for Muslims, it's so like a terrorist activity, right? I think that may be similar, but I don't think, you know, the Muslim or South Asian community has faced racism as long as the African American community has, or that, you know, Mm -hmm. the way that the criminal justice system is working, you know, those elements may not exactly line up. Yeah. They don't line up, but there's there's also a different different um, you know, like I was saying earlier, kind of they they switch the uniforms, right? But it's it's the same kind of treatment. It, it is right. I mean, not all it, cops are like that too, right? Right. They're, they're, they're not. They're and, definitely right. Right, and they're not. And it's more of a systemic, too, right. you know, um, you know, when you know in, in South Asian um, lands, uh, you know, they were. Uh, many times victims of colonization, right, from the British right. and other places, other countries, the French, and, you know, so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, that leaves a, a societal imprint um, that affects society very negatively. I mean, even okay. today, when you look at, um, if you watch um, television shows on South Asian networks, um, uh-huh. you'll see advertisements for Fair and Lovely. Right. It's the right. idea that if you have whiter skin, you are more attractive. And if you have darker skin, you are lesser attractive. Right. And you wonder, where is this coming from? Right. You know? And so these are aftermaths of, of colonialism. And so, you know, in that way, there, there are some 
you know, it's, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like some kind of anti-white uh, person or something, but, I'm, <laughs> I, but, I'm, but, I, but I really want to convey is that, you know, when you are a minority and you've been oppressed by a certain type of system, it leaves, it leaves an imprint, right? Even when you, right. you know, when you move or to another country, it kind of, it still stays and you pass it on to your children and that it's hard to erase those those treatments. And so similarly, in a, in a way, when African Americans have been, um, when, when, when Africans were forced into slavery and brought into the United States, and then they were lynched, and then they were, the women were raped, and, you know, all these things right. were happening. Um, and then you, on top of that, there's police brutality that ha- that's been happening for many years, and there's doc- it's documented very well in um, there's right, footage, right. and then, you know, yeah, um, it, it, it didn't really, you know, it didn't really end because the Black Lives Matter is just a new hashtag, a new branding, if you like, of what has been happening systemically. Right, and I agree with you. I think, you know, I just kind of want to go back on what you just stated is that I think a lot of the injustices have been happening, you know, ever since the Civil War, but because of social media and because of the power of being able to record things on your phone you know, these incidences are coming to light, but they've always been happening. That's something that the African-American mm-hmm. community has been very consistent in saying is that this has been happening for so long, and it's just now coming to light that we're learning about these, in, like, horrific and tragic incidences, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really sad even in, uh, you know, when when, uh, when the NWA, which that movie was very famous, movie came out straight out of Compton, but... Um, right. You know, the NWA was, they were rapping about these struggles, you know, uh, right. with the police and with, with and, and, and other, other rappers would talk about, you know, that these, and even Malcolm X would, even would mention, um, they have mercy on him, you know, that, you know, they, that these things were installed, right? They were, they were guns, right. they were drugs, and then it was a societal problem, right? And I, I don't think that, and I think that if we, if we as, you know, South Asians and, um, and, and Muslims, South Asian Muslims think that it's not going to affect us and the same type of like, you know, uh, oppression doesn't affect us, uh-huh. it does, you know, and if you go to countries like in the Gulf where South Asians are the labor class, you really right. identify with a lot of these struggles and you see the, how people are treated as second class citizens, even in Muslim majority countries. Right. And you see that that xenophobia and that that placement of like, no, you're going to be a little bit below us based on your rights. Um, Right. So my personal opinion is it's incumbent upon uh, Muslims and South Asian people of color to work with other people of color and minority groups to see how we can improve the society as, as a whole. I agree with you. And I definitely think that this is something, you know, we need to work on and we need to Stop being so oblivious that, oh, this doesn't really affect us, because I think it does. And, you know, I want to pivot over to the point, you know, you had a second article Mm -hmm. that I read about discussing that HBO hit show The Night Of. Right, right. And for those of y'all who haven't watched it, it, you know, follows the case of a, you know, first-generation Pakistani-American kid, you know, who got jailed for murder. And it kind of follows, like, the trial and just, you know, the things that – he has to go through. And so, you know, it shows like the criminal justice system. It shows kind of like the unfairness or the bias because he's Muslim, because, you know, he's of Pakistani descent. And then on top of that, you had, 
that hit serial podcast, right? right. Which talked about the case of Adnan Syed. And I mean, that was real life. And it was also kind of like talking the same thing with, you know, another Pakistani American and dealing with the criminal justice system. And, you know, many of us don't understand the implications of the criminal justice system that it has on the African-American community. And I know I discussed earlier that while things, you know, we haven't faced it as much as they have, but do you draw parallels between these situations and the criminal justice situations facing our community? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely parallels. And also another element of that is with, um, is, is with, you know, the, so when sometimes when I, when I'm when I'm me and my siblings are driving in 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 Dallas, um, we uh-huh. get pulled over if we drive on a certain street, right? Okay. And, you know, we it, it's almost guaranteed. Like if you drive late night, and and it, it happens to me and my siblings all the time. We I purposely don't go on that road, you know. But, oh wow. I mean, you know, they they may not know that they may assume that we are whatever, but you know, we get that kind of a treatment, um, and. Um, when I'm, uh, you know, and I also wanted to mention is that, uh, you know, the way the FBI has been treating the Muslim community for many years now in terms of the raids, in terms of the spying, in terms of, um, you know, planting uh, informants. And this is documented in LA Times. It's not like some kind of conspiracy. This is, you know, this is happening, you know, this is happening. Um, even when I was in Houston, you know, they would, um, they would plant one young person to take another group of Muslims, and then they would bring up topics like about you know, uh, attacking America, and they would record the conversations. And then these Muslims would unfortunately end up in jail. You know, so oh, wow. there, there there is definitely a parallel, um, you know, in the way that the the, the, the government is treating. And there's a, there's a new controversy um, of you know the CVE, the counter, countering violent extremism, that happened, um, I believe, from the Justice Department. Um, and, and what, what that basically does is, you know, it, it, it's basically countering violent Muslim extremists, but they, they try to make it more broad in the name. But the people that they're targeting and people that they're basically wanting Muslims to help them uh, get Muslims, right? Um, right. But, it's, but it doesn't cover other types of terrorism or extremism. And with Homeland Security, uh, you know, I used to work in the congressional office in heavily in immigration cases. And I can't tell you how many times uh, I talk to wives and young men, and honestly, I get emotional talking about it because, you know, they would be so sad because their, their husband's name is Khan or Muhammad, and they can't get to America. So the husband's like sitting there in Pakistan or something, and they can't get to America. Or they may get here for a little bit, and then they have to get deported. So they go to the, the deportation jail, the ICE jail. Um, immigration custom enforcement, and then they eventually go back, get deported back to their home country. Right? That's terrible. And, yeah, and so as recently at the ISNA convention, the Islamic Society of North America, they invited, or the head of the Homeland Security was a speaker, like a main speaker of the main main nights there. Uh-huh. And you had one group of Muslims who had a sign, you know, protesting his attendance, saying, "Stop deporting families." Okay. You know, it's very raw and very powerful that. You know, um, you know that Muslims are constantly, are constantly having to go through this, and it, it permeates into the Hindu and the Sikh community as well, and that they are being identified or being profiled and labeled right. as 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 Muslims. You know, and um, unfortunately, um, it's also a, a big problem right now. So I, I think it's really a key time, um, you know, for South Asians, different identity, different different. Uh, 
religious identities to come together um, and to really put their, their heads together and see how can we make this uh, society a better place. I really agree with you. I hope that my listeners will understand this, that we need to start having open dialogue with other marginalized communities and understanding their concerns and their struggles, because if we all work together, we could definitely make, you know, America a better place. And I mean, it's already great, but obviously we have, we have things to work on and things to work towards, right? Right. Right. So I want to thank you so much for, you know, all that you have shared with us. And if you have any last words um, to the community, obviously voting is right around the corner. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely voting is important. Um, I even I did a clip recently that I may be publishing online um, uh, about about the importance of voting in the Muslim tradition. Um, uh-huh. And in, in our in our current state, um, as, as American, khutbah is the, is the Friday religious service for for Muslims. For those who don't, aren't aware, um, and uh, you know, I, I want to close with one with one um, one one feedback that I got. So I was in a meeting sure. um, last year with the Attorney General uh, Loretta Lynch, um, and uh-huh. she was in um, in Durham, where her hometown was Durham, North Carolina. When I was a Duke, and um, you know, I basically brought up the fact that, you know, this was right after the UNC shootings um, of the young, um, young, young Muslims who got shot. And, I, and, of course, this is also a very high time, which is like, like now, where, where bad people were also dying um, who weren't Muslim. And right. I was like, you know, you know, what's going on here? There's no repercussions for all of these killings. Like, it seems like people can just get away with whatever they want to get away with. And I was like, how do we how do we end this or work to end this? And there was about 40 people, I think, 30, 40 people at the table. And her response was, it takes everybody's voices at this table to speak out together in order uh-huh. for change to happen. You know? Yes, it and, does. And Nel- it, it's, beautiful, it's a beautiful statement. And, you know, Nelson Mandela um, is reported to have said, you know, as he, in the process of freeing South Africa, he, he makes this, you know, hand gesture. And he says that, you know, I'm one finger, you're a second finger. And he keeps pointing to different people in the in the room. And then he says, together, individually we are weak, but together he makes a fist with the fingers and says, we are strong. You know, and right. so that, that's really the kind of, you know, ethos that I, I, I want to push for our community to, to move towards. Yes. And I'm so glad that you, you know, talked about this and brought this up because I definitely think we need to have our voices heard. And that's definitely not happening. And that's something, you know, along with communicating with other communities and opening dialogue, we need to step up and we need to get involved and we need to be there. So I want to thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. Well, I hope you all enjoyed that enlightening interview and got a better idea of what the Black Lives Matter movement is about. And I hope you all will take Adil's advice to heart and realize that we need to start having open dialogue. And I'm not talking about this just in regards to Black Lives Matter. I think we should have open dialogue with anybody and everybody that we don't really understand. So it could be your neighbors. It could be people of different faiths. And it could be with groups and communities, you know, that you may not understand or that you realize are also being marginalized. The positive outcomes that could come from open dialogue would be overwhelming and the benefits would be amazing. And at the end of the day, it would make society in America as a whole a much better country. As Muslims and as South Asians, we need to do a much better job of uniting together, 
you know, to fight against racism and to fight for making sure that our voices are heard. And I'm not just saying that this is just for Muslims, this is also for the Hindu communities and the Sikh communities. You know, culturally, we have so much more in common. The only difference is religion, to be honest. And if we all combine together and learn from one another and even had open dialogue amongst each other, we could really be much more successful in having our voices heard. So I really hope you'll take his advice to heart and start trying to implement those things. I also hope you all will listen in and understand the importance of voting and what he stated with that quote from Attorney General Loretta Lynch about how, you know, we're only going to be so powerful if we make sure that we get our voices heard. And the best way to do that is to vote in November. And just a reminder, early voting begins October 24th, so I hope y'all are ready. And next week, I hope to discuss again what will be the important issues that our country will be facing when Congress gets in session and the Texas legislature gets in session. So I hope you'll be ready to tune in. And remember, everyone, let's become educated, let's get wiser, and let's start giving a hoot. Until next time.